hey, your friend Bill wants you to come and like talk on a podcast. It's like, mm-hmm. well, is that an actual gesture of friendship or is this just yeah, like some a transactional transaction? thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we should talk about just this That's right. to start. <laughs> <laughs> I can have yeah. another hour conversation yeah. asking you questions sure. about this. Your motives behind. Uh-huh. D- deep dive into, you know, yeah. those motives when he asks your innocent questions to his friends. What is up? I am your host, Bill May. Welcome to the Friendship Futurism Podcast, where we talk about friendships in the 22nd century. Today, I'm talking with Lisa Xia, a friend of mine and a human-centered creative who vlogs, innovates on meditation, and teaches at her church. Lisa has led small groups and communities across racial, cultural, and faith backgrounds and loves telling stories that bring people together. In this conversation, you'll learn about how to manage the energy and conversation dynamic of a group, as well as what non-religious people can learn about church communities, tips for storytelling and authentic relating, and so much more. Let's jump right into it. What is the dark side to being Lisa Xia? Maybe my dark side is that I don't pick sides and that even though I work or am committed to or are really gung-ho about certain causes or belief systems or experiences or like relationships and people in my life that I like super fangirl or, you know, admire a lot, that I don't discount that there are decent flaws and like serious pros and cons to everything. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, there's also just a longing to hear more people from different sides of the table addressing that reality of the fact that it's not black and white. And so Mm -hmm. I think for me, like I maybe from what I consider to be a dark side is that I shy away from kind of being black and white about things. And I just want to hear people talk in the spaces in between and like, just go to the gray kind of conversations. We've talked about like Christian and non-Christian or faith communities and non-faith communities or like black and white races or like Asian and white races or like different sides of kind of like dichotomies that we've created. Mm -hmm. Like I want there to be more bridge building and like middle spaces where people can respectfully, but also like seriously disagree and like also jokingly disagree, but I think people are a lot better with the humor part of it than they are with the reality right. when it comes down to it. So what happened to pushing your agenda for your values? <laughs> <laughs> How does that square That's with that? That's mutually exclusive, yeah. right? Um, well, I think it's maybe, I don't know, formally called discernment, but just having an intuition about what the most appropriate setting is for the type of conversation you want to have. Like, I'm very person across the table driven. So I'm very like sort of queuing into their clues and their comfort level, you know, their vibes, their emotions, whatever, you know, they, they're kind of giving off and wanting. Yeah. I want to be able to meet them there. And I'm sometimes a little bit too in that direction, but I think when I have that established, then I can push it and then I can drive it toward something that pushes the comfort level a little bit more. But I like that. I think usually people open up to that and they're surprised by that in really cool ways. Right. And then that's where relationships and like networks and friendships. When I bumped into you at the social thing that we just yeah. met <laughs> yeah. through a friend. So Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah. that's your dark side, right? You you like yeah. pretend to be in the other person's in-group so that they feel like you're a part of the group. And even if that's you're not. That's true. 
Yes. In the <laughs> like most, being a spy. In, in the most non-insidious yeah. way, I did get voted. <laughs> like, I think I got very, like, jokingly, but also very seriously voted. Like, the cutesiest, most likely to uh-huh. go behind someone's back and murder them in, like, oh, elementary school. Wow. Because I look so accommodating. Right. And in and yeah. open. But there's yeah, yeah. others that, yeah. So. Is that your dream career? Be a spy? Um, those are those are important and useful skills. I think the psychology and the human aspect of it definitely prepares me very well to be in that kind of career. But I'm also the type of person that I just try to sit down and watch a TV show where there were like fight scenes and multiple places that people were getting shot in at multiple periods of time, like yeah. throughout the whole show. And I cannot see someone get stabbed and not compulsively want to pause the show. Right. So I also, like, I don't... I, I can't deal well with, yeah. like, extreme and, right. like, surprising violence. Yeah. So I feel like spies, you know, if you're seriously, diplomatically trying to accomplish something for I see. a government... Okay. That, that might not work out as well. Okay. But, but I think maybe Just in the relational... Friends. That's easier. Yeah, yeah, up front. Like, front line, <laughs> relational, right. friend-making spy, yeah, I think yeah. I could consider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we just call that EQ, I think. That's right. Yeah. I think <laughs> you're getting EQ. Yeah. You're effectively like a human spy. Yes. In a, in a very, you know, non-threatening way. That's right. Yeah. 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 Be accommodating to other people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I have one dark side, but I feel like maybe because I have so many different things going on inside of me and a lot of them are related to loving human beings around me mm-hmm. that I'm very aware of and thinking through and processing a lot of things at once all the time that people might not be aware of socially. Like I think mm-hmm. I come off maybe first meet really bubbly because people have told me that I'm intimidating in the way that I like non-discriminately want to get to know them out of nowhere, mm-hmm. like with no common connections or anything like even on, the street with a stranger like I can come off very just like in one direction really energetic and excited no context around it Mm -hmm. but there is actually a lot going on inside of me that I think people who have gotten to know me on the other side say wow like I'm so glad that there's not just a shallow butterfly you know energy like Pikachu Uh (laughs) kind of you know, but, but there's a lot more inside of me. And I think that maybe doesn't come out to people initially. Mm -hmm. And that could be kind of like a like a whammy for them, like a realization later on, like, yeah. wow, that this is, this is cool. There's a lot more going on with you. I guess um, it depends on your friends too. Cause it's like, uh, also at Stephen's social, right? Like it was, uh, I think I described it as extroverts paradise. Cause I feel like yeah. everyone he invited was like very, like, you know, very bubbly yeah. and like very like outgoing and yeah. like, you know, yeah. externally. Yeah. I would say so. Or people who, like, really appreciate and know they aren't extroverts, but like to be surrounded by them precisely because it makes them feel safer and, like, they don't have to be that. So, yeah, like, I'm thinking of a few of the people we we had talked to that were intimidated (laughs) by how extroverted you personally were and how extroverted, I guess, Stephen just... By by virtue of existing, uh-huh. you know, kind of was so. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely extreme extroverts in that room, but yeah, yeah, I think extroverts in general yeah. are very accepted and like a welcome sigh of relief for others who aren't as extreme in that yeah. socially. So it's good feedback, though. I have to be careful of not being uh, wearing out other people's energetic threshold. Yeah. If I'm like have too much energy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I need to be more of a spy. <laughs> Spy on I mean, I think it's so interesting though because I think 
I don't know if maybe that's more of an ambivert thing, but I think for me, because I'm so dynamic and I like to adjust to the energy in the room, like yeah. I find myself in a lot of settings, like I'm actually not a huge fan of like 10 plus people conversations where everyone's trying to talk at the same time or like connect with a person across the table, but then you're not actually like centering around a topic or right. something that's actually like sustainable to talk about at like a large level with like 10 people. Yeah. And so that becomes overwhelming for like eight out of 10 of the people usually that I experience in those sorts of gatherings. And for me, I actually hate those settings because I kind of shut off. Like I'm somebody who likes to maintain the energy, contribute to the dynamic, drive a conversation, drive the energy, get people around that, whatever it is that's worth talking about or doing. Or I like to listen and kind of like bring different people out of their shell and mm. like see what happens because it's like, it's really fun for me. But when everybody's trying to be like 500% an extrovert at once, mm -hmm. that actually turns me off a lot. And I, I mean, people notice that I get really quiet and I start getting the stern, maybe that's the dark side, but yeah. I start getting the stern expression on my face that feels just like taken over by life. And so I think like, those are spaces where I'm really sensitive to, like, I'm way not extroverted. And if someone met me, like, walked in the room, you know, yeah. at some barbecue place and saw me that way, they would definitely not think I was an extrovert. Yeah. But at other, other settings where I noticed there's just, like, this awkward, indefinite silence, people don't know what to do, they don't know why they're sitting next to each other, I like to bring that energy and push it. Mm. Um, but I also don't like to be the sole driver of the energy because I think, for me, I've been in spaces where that's been the case a lot. Mm -hmm. So that has felt like tiring for me. So like having that energy matched by just a couple or a few people, mm -hmm. I really love kind of the dynamics in those spaces. But yeah, like I think when it's like 10 extroverts at once, I'm like, I feel like this might be like, you know, five extroverts too many. <laughs> Maybe we want a little bit more balance there. So yeah, I think sense. it definitely varies. So you can be a spy and very, you know, intuitive tactful select scenario <laughs> yeah um because i think it definitely varies on the people there yeah. and like the energy that they come together around interesting yeah i wonder then um if so much of kind of this level of interacting involves understanding your conversation partner and like getting mm -hmm. into people's heads how do you do that when it's like an online context or when it's a yeah. one-to-many type of situation like imagining yeah. like you're recording a YouTube video where you're just talking to a yeah. camera, right? Or like, uh, you know, on a video call. Yeah. So would you want to like break it down to like when it's just you in front of a camera versus when you're like in a group of people? Or I'm just curious, of... like for you, right? Yeah. It's like when you don't have that kind of social feedback from mm -hmm. this other person right. and their expressions and their tone, yeah, you're, you're yeah, literally yeah, just like it. talking to a camera, right? Uh -huh. And there are people on either side. Uh -huh. You just can't see any cues. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there are two scenarios that come to mind. Both are COVID related. Surprise. Yeah. The first is we were doing um, for our church virtual streamed sermons on Sunday and we would mm -hmm. rotate guest preaching with a group of folks, you know, on the team. And every time we would go in, and we had switched buildings to this massive renovated space that's like 50,000 times larger than the space that we had pre-COVID. So you're staring into the dark abyss of like all the pews that look eerily similar, but then there's like this blinding light, which is a ring light in front of you. And then like the eye of death of the whatever smartphone camera you're recording in for that day. Mm -hmm. And it's really just that small light, which is smaller than a human pupil, it feels like. And you're staring into that imagining, you know, an audience of 500 people or something, uh, but it's just you, you know, 
awkwardly staring into a camera lens. But I think for me, like, it was surprisingly easy to do that because maybe when I'm in public speaking situations or when I know that I have an agenda or I have a purpose, I, I need to do something for a specific reason, I just kind of psych myself up. I get that energy maybe out of nervous drive. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe for me too, it's it's like a lot of the audiences that I've spoken in maybe are a little bit more conservative or they, they aren't super emotive where maybe for a church setting, you're always hearing someone going, amen, amen. Or like whatever it is, you know, with the feedback, mm-hmm. people have been, you know, smiling and really like happy looking and not sleeping looking, but there hasn't been a ton of like really dynamic, energetic feedback mm. in the past. It's been more, maybe it's felt like a little bit skewed more toward kind of like that presentation setting where people are generally happy and pleasant, but they're not like super, in, you know, vo- vocally interactive. So mm. I haven't needed to feed off of that. So I'm used to kind of emoting and like being more than I would be like just in this sort of setting with a one-on-one. So that actually wasn't too challenging for me, but I would say that for a lot of people, it was a really huge transition just to speak to one stagnant thing that was not emotive, (laughs) did not have the capacity to process anything. Yeah. And um, that, that was supposed to be a whole room full of people. So I think you raise a good point too, which is also that like when you have like the larger the group of people you're talking to, yeah. the harder it is for any one person to raise the energy level. Right? Yeah, sure, Because you're, sure, you're sure. almost, it's like a yeah. um, kind of a nail sticking up mm-hmm. on a bit of nails, right? Or whatever that yeah. proverb is. The, yeah. The tall poppy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many proverbs in the yeah. about the nail, but yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I think tall poppy is the one. The but, tall poppy. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, because if you're one-on-one, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm free to be loose and have the energy. Yeah. But then, like, if there's more people, uh-huh. I almost then don't want to have more energy because then I'd be, like, hogging the microphone. Right. And for people who are people-fearing people or people-pleasing right. people or yeah. whatever you want to say, people-people, yeah, yeah. Um, that I think they're very aware of how they come off socially. And right. they don't want to be that person who's hogging all the attention or yeah. that, like, super dramatic, you know, personality who's just, like, can't stand not having all the attention <laughs> focused on them. Yeah. Even if they are extremely that way, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever personality assessment-wise, like Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, um, right. that people don't want to be that person. Yeah. So. Yeah. Would you um, want to be an influencer? Um, yeah, one day. Okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Off the microphone. All right. I mean, I think that's like it's setting dependent, right? Like, yes. I mean, not not to like a group of people who yeah, you know yeah. I want to get to know or like community right. or right, right, people right. like socially, but like in a specific topic or a community where like people are wanting that voice, they're wanting somebody to step in. Like that's. Yeah. You know, again, like the values cause driven part of me, like right. in that space. Yeah. For what sure. do you want to be known for? Um, in life. <laughs> or in your uh, influencer career or just um, in life, I guess. Yeah. I feel like, again, it's like just this like calling that I feel or like this, I don't know, drive that I feel toward like the gray areas and building bridges across different silos that people have sort of created socially communities like that are defined by politics or faith or like things that tend to really segment and I think race too is absolutely something obviously recently relevant but just building bridges and and maybe also representing like a third way or just representing like a third Mm -hmm. identity that's not black and white because I think for me identity wise intersectionality is like a thing because I'm like 
Asian American and I'm like very Asian in like my kind of like disposition and the things that I know and the way that I am and the humor that I have and the food that I eat and stuff like that, but not necessarily like I'm very like American in my mannerisms and in the the people I hang around and maybe mm-hmm. the ways that I've like emoted and been like a lot more energetic than the typical stereotypical you know, sort of Asian American girl. Mm-hmm. And I am fluent in like Mandarin and, and like da- like dabble in other random Asian languages because of random people that I've connected with yeah. and a lot more attached to that identity than your typical second gen person, but also very vividly associated the word American with white because I grew up in the Midwest, which is right. upper middle class white suburban Missouri even though it was St. Louis, it was not the city. And so that space was very predominantly white. And I have that experience that I think maybe some of my other Asian American counterparts don't if they're from a city or a bigger city that inherently was more diverse. And so like that intersectionality of like that, <laughs> I'm like tempted to call it a hashtag. It's a layer cake. Yeah, the layer cake, the layer cake, and also just the yeah. uh, the hyphen between Asian and American, and like it's an optional hyphen, I guess, but yeah. that space was very large for me, and, uh, okay. and bridging that, and like either not being too, like wanting to represent Asian communities in like hyper white communities, and wanting to represent more white, or just American communities in like hyper, just first generation or like immigrant very, very Asian communities, yeah. I've always felt the need to sort of create that balance. Like if there's a lack, I want to compensate for it and represent the other piece. And so like, that's a bridge that I've wanted to build. Um, and I've found myself building anyway, even though I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this again. Or like, why am I here again? And talking to these people and feel like I have to, you know, fill in the space there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm d- driven to it personally anyway. And I think there's another space where, you know, whether you want to call it secular or sacred or like, religious and non-religious or like faith-based or non-faith-based like I found that to be a huge dichotomy maybe growing up in the Midwest and like white America where evangelicalism was like associated with white evangelicalism and Christianity was associated with a lot of what white evangelical you know Christians look like that space of like assumptions from either end language that's not in common that people use to describe realities I've always wanted to tell stories in a very different way so that both communities can find themselves represented and like actually start to help them to create a different conversation around some of the things that have splintered them so that they can actually like be friends with each other. And like the people in my life, like at least in my social circles, that they can see each other as having way more similarities than differences. And whether that's in like kind of type of human beings they are like fundamentally or just in the things that they care about and the fact that you know, they're not automatically jumping to assumptions about the other party, just sitting next to them. For me, that's like just something I've wanted to accomplish for myself and the, the people that I'm connected to just organically. But if I were an influencer, I think I want to do that on a larger level. And I want to bring larger pockets of communities together uh, through the content that I produce, through the topics that I, you know, address, having those rep- like various voices represented, talking to each other interacting in a very potentially controversial way, but like still staying there and existing together and like staying with each other in that space. Because I think people are like stigmatized and like shy away from a lot of these topics. And then what happens is that no one ends up talking about it and no Mm -hmm. one knows what the other person thinks. So yeah, like having civil and like disagreements and, and, you know, like have those opportunities open up to be in a different place and to move forward together out of that, like, 
Yeah. It's a very general thing, but like something that I've seen is glaringly hard for a lot of these like, oh, yeah. you know, dichotomous like communities. Yeah. So what can a non-religious person learn about small groups at church? Well, you, Bill, <laughs> mentioned the other day that I think for like men and like <laughs> people of the male persuasion or people who identify as masculine in any way tend to, you know, feel like there's lack of community in more like non-religious faith communities. And like that intimacy is something that you really have to push to like get people together around and like you're not just going to grab five people and the next people that you encounter across the street at Whole Foods and say, hey, let's go talk about our emotions, yeah. um, about what happened last night together, um, because now we're friends. So I think like that space where there's a collective communal like value and belief in, hey, this isn't our culture. We have to be able to create this culture of authentic masculinity and and transparency and like doing some sort of life in a deeper way together every Thursday or something like that. That's like an in, right? And on an opt-in for people who may not be interested in faith or not interested in, I know, the Bible or whatever it is, but really know that they've been really lonely and sad and like wanted Mexican food with people (laughs) um, that they, you know, they've been working from home and, and just want, you know, like whatever community looks like for them. Yeah, yeah. So I think socially that's that's like a value that people can get more around and behind. Yeah, totally. I'm also just curious, like what are the biggest things that non-religious people kind of maybe don't understand about church communities or that in your influencer platform you wish like kind of more yeah. people would know about? Yeah, that they're imperfect maybe. Okay. I don't know. Like yeah. I, I guess like... I mean, this is a stigma and sort of a stereotype even within maybe church circles where I hear a lot of people talking about how they have a sense from their non-Christian friends or non-whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. church friends that they have to present well when they step into church, that magically for some reason when Mm. they... Be your Sunday best. Yeah, walk through those doors that they somehow not just have to dress up well, but they have to like spiritually and emotionally and just like life problems wise dress down and compress all of that and, and and leave that at the door and somehow need to need to get it together. And I just feel like there's a lot of that, oh I have this XY addiction. I did this thing wrong. I, you know, again, like I identify as a different sex or, you know, I have a different gender and sexuality belief in the way that I I present that's not evangelical or not Christian. Like, I think there's a lot of nuance where for very good reasons, church community hasn't felt safe in come as you are. And I genuinely feel like maybe there's more of a perception that there are certain people who are more okay and more Mm. like well presented. And then others who are just like barely okay. And then people who are like really bad and like the people who are really bad just can't break in for some reason. Or like, even if they do, there's not a safe space space or safe conversation to have where they can ask questions that don't sound good to Mm. people who are more well-versed in the faith or like have this deep knowledge of like theology or whatever it is. Sure. Like what's an example of like a bad question? I don't know. Like what happens if I'm actively living like a homosexual lifestyle or like, Just being very direct. Just very direct. I I think like, and I'm obviously that's like a a low hanging fruit because that's a topic that people are genuinely not willing to or able to address in some of the church communities, just to be really honest, I think. 
um, there's that, but just the people who are at the top notch A plus, you know, have it together in terms of how they present. Like, I, see. I don't think that a lot of us are doing a good job, whether we're at, we feel like we're at our Sunday best inside and out of communicating that we're not, no matter what, like no matter how we feel, how we're looking, how we're talking, how we're interacting, none of us are actually in a good place. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's just this perception that if you're in the church building, if you're in leadership, if you're serving, if you're invested, that somehow, like, your soul is just so, like, buffed up, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. By God, or, yeah. like, I don't know, just your your spirituality. And, and I think it's, yeah, there's so much brokenness, which I think is a kind of churchy term in some ways, that doesn't have room to breathe. Like, I feel like on, on a communal level that that's not visible. So I guess, like, at least that's a bias for me. Like, I don't want anyone ever looking at a community that says they're a church or, you know, is self-proclaimed Christian and actually living like Christians, right? That feels like there's there's a very narrow gate of entry because they're not like them or because, you know, no, I'm too far from this or I'm struggling X, Y, and Z and that's not a thing here. Um, Because it is a thing and people aren't talking about it and that's, part of the problem I think of seeing and identifying with that community yeah that makes sense I think I also have felt you know that was one of the reasons I didn't really feel like I belonged in a church Mm -hmm. I mean also because I'm a non-believer yeah Um, right but but also like kind of what you mentioned is that like my whole communication style is very direct Mm -hmm. right and it it, I just feel like I just felt like I was this um I couldn't tell disturbing the peace type of person coming in yeah you know and it just felt like everyone had this awesome thing going on and then my personality was just kind of like ripping the tablecloth up and then yeah. like, you know, soiling everyone's uh, dinner. So that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and again, like, I don't want to be that person, but what comes to mind is Jesus did that. Like yeah. Jesus actually true, yeah. took things off the table <laughs> yeah. and completely turned the table right. over yeah. in a very like non-kosher way for like that, that context. Right. And so I think... Maybe the the way that the tables are being set up or the way that people are setting themselves up is very cleaned up in a lot of churches and still very traditional, yeah. like just very neat, very tidy, very well kept. And there's the space for that. But I think maybe there's too much of an overwhelming, like right. uniform culture sometimes in the way that it comes off to I see. people who aren't that way. So, yeah. Um, so I have a direct question for you. So yeah. uh, is prayer just a form of meditation? I think meditation is a form of prayer. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that, like, I can logically come up with, like, a (laughs) a diagram or a tree that gives you a good structure of what that looks like in my head. But I don't know. I think maybe if you want to think about prayer, and I haven't Wikipedia'd or Googled all the different ABCs. So it's like what you do in, like, fifth grade when you want to come up with a presentation. You're like, the dictionary definition of prayer is this. And then, like, you cheer you. Yeah, like I basically I'm abandoning <laughs> yeah, that and saying right. that I don't know exactly what all exists out uh-huh. there in every dictionary, Urban Dictionary or Webster right. Dictionary. Yeah. But I think for me, what makes sense just like intuitively and like relationally is that prayer is when you're talking to whatever you perceive or whatever you would call as like a higher power or a higher level of consciousness within yourself or, you know, like something or someone bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. that you're trying to engage with, whether that's like your soul as part of the universe or, you know, God, 
entering into a deeper space of intimacy and it doesn't have to be verbal. It doesn't have to look a certain way or even have a certain structure. Like Mm -hmm. you're, it's just you and whoever, whether it's yourself, your soul, or, you know, someone beyond yourself, a greater being that you're talking to. That's like the primary motive and goal is intimacy and a relationship and with with yourself, right? Which you normally don't think about. Absolutely. You know, and I think for me, like, whether or not we, we want to talk about this, like even within faith communities where it is you're praying to God, God is also in you for Christians. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I can speak for myself. I don't do a great job of this in believing that I'm also talking to myself mm-hmm. as I'm talking to supposedly this being outside of myself that's so much greater than myself. Like mm-hmm. that being or whatever you want to call that consciousness is also inside of me. And whatever I'm not being honest with myself in, wherever I'm not being aware of how I am or feeling or thinking, I'm not fully being able to connect with whatever God and whoever God is to me. And so I think for meditation, it's like, I think for me, it's more intentional slowing down with whatever that looks like to focus in on like a part of that piece of Mm -hmm. conversation or an area of yourself or a thing that you're struggling with in particular to bring your awareness to. And that can be just rehearsing like a a few words in your head or just like paying attention to how the wind feels on your skin. And that's a form of deeper relationship, for example, with yourself or, you know, whatever it is, and slowing that down and just that pace of rhythmically like saying things and thinking things and processing things and having things happen and then just letting that be and like observing and Mm -hmm. being silent and not like overshadowing it with your anxiety and then going back to more focusing and and processing. So that like the way that it looks and the rhythm and like the, the focus is different for meditation. But I would say it's like, a form of like expressing that connection and relationship with yourself or the things around you and the people in the world around you and the reality around you that you would miss if you weren't being intentional. So, yeah, I think that's maybe like a controversial way to look at it with meditation being a form of prayer, but yeah. Yeah. Is that what also got you interested in meditation too? Um, I think in part, like, Oh, definitely. I mean, I can't lie. I think, I think faith is a big part of, kind of that meditation for me, Lectio Divina was um, kind of a Christian version of of meditation that for me, like always felt monkish, like people who ran away to the desert and isolated themselves in in cells and were not like 21st century savvy, you know, would go and do. And I think there's like an over aversion to that in a lot of maybe faith circles that are more modern um, because it feels like impractical and it feels like you can't find a space of intersectionality when you're like sitting in like traffic for 45 minutes or you have a nine to five desk job. Like, what does that even look like? Um, But yeah, I think for me that because I longed for like silence and pause and not frenzy and not grit all the time, go, go, go. And just having a space to actually hold and just promise and be accountable to yourself where you spent most of the time actually not talking or doing things or pushing and hustling. That was just such a non thing mm. that I think that helped me to slow down, actually distill the noise in a way that felt like it was taking me deeper. And a lot of things that I felt like I didn't have time to do mm-hmm. that was like counterintuitive to stop doing things to do. Mm-hmm. 
So I think like, yeah, that would, that came from like a faith background and desire. But I think for me too, for now, it's branched out into how can I create those experiences, not just for people who are Christian or who come in from this similar, like, oh, I did Lectio Divina and actually really benefited from that to a, well, here I am coming out as a Hindu or a Muslim or, you know, a Buddhist or whatever it is. And maybe I, I don't have a ton of experience with meditation from a particular faith tradition. How can I make the language and the, the format of a meditation approachable, but not also like particularly spiritually charged in any one direction mm -hmm. and just use words that are like representative and helpful for people to access no matter where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So I think distilling those practices into a new format where people feel like they can engage from all walks of life is more of sort of what I would want to do for people if I took it, if I, if I took influencing down that route yeah. of meditation. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm always, always like one foot here, like thinking, okay, this is what's benefited me. And then the next foot's in the already, even if it's not practical to do yet, how would this be good for other people and like lots of different kinds of other people? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've always imagined it more like cloud watching is the analogy. Cloud I watching. Use. Yeah. Wow. Because it's huh. like there are these clouds, they, they exist. Even if you're not paying attention to them, they still exist. Yeah. But the cloud watching is the, just the act of like stopping what you're doing and just watching the clouds. Huh. You know? And then yeah. also just like kind of being okay with the clouds as they come and go. Uh -huh. Right. And not like being like, oh, no, I like that exact cloud. I want it to stay exactly the way it is all the time and oh, not change. Oh, I see. I get you. you know? Huh. Yeah. That is pretty profound. <laughs> I think about it. Yeah. I've been going to the beach a little bit more, trying to take advantage of summer as it's dying <laughs> slowly, yeah. transitioning to fall. <laughs> and there are a lot more clouds, which is not very happy for a lot of people at the beach so they can tell. Right. But when you actually appreciate <laughs> how much they shift and change right. and how like beautiful they are. Yeah. And, and yet like, yeah. Yeah. And not, and not desiring a specific cloud or absence or presence of a cloud, but just yeah. watching them for what they are. For what they are. Yeah. No. Yeah. I like that. No. That's, yeah. That's how I've always thought of it. I should go home and think about more, more clouds. Yeah. It's cool. This. What is a unique or good birthday activity? in your opinion. Oh. Um, because I've always actually resisted celebrating my birthday because I always thought of it as like, mm. you know, I don't really want people to like shower me with gifts or anything because it's like, I don't really feel like that's really necessary. Um, but then yeah. I had a frame shift, which I realized that actually my birthday is not really about me. It's about yeah. how can I like bring the people in my life together and yeah. like celebrate the fact that there is this unique configuration of human beings uh -huh. uh, in my life and that like yeah. I can celebrate those relationships that's that's really what my yeah. birthday is about now yeah um well you're a lot less selfish than I am in that way. <laughs> really you thought it was really but selfish the other 300 no no, no. Uh -huh. I mean I'm talking about like non-you in oh. this way people including myself sure for 364 days uh -huh. I'm like okay I can be like all about the you know, kumbaya, like yeah. I'm, I'm there for everybody else. And okay. then on the one day, <laughs> okay, my birthday, I see. I see. this is where I get you to do whatever I want you to do yeah. all together. And you, I don't care if you don't know each other, you're, <laughs> you're going to get to know each other and you're going to like each other in front yeah. of me. Nice. Um, so, and so yeah. what is, so what is the format of that? Is it like a game show? Is it like survivor, like uh, the island where you like, is it like a beauty pageant? Like what is the template here? 
Yeah, I mean, activity. I because I don't have a formal role in like you know like the the chief of fun or something okay. in my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I would be a lot more thoughtful if I gave myself like a formal hat and maybe like an outfit to really psych myself <laughs> okay. up to, yeah. to get this done and like make things happen. Yeah, I've always been a lot more. I think personally, I'm that way too. Like I'm a lot more on the Myers Big like P. Okay, I'm perceiving. a PNFP, yeah, perceiving yeah. at the end. Yeah. Uh, for work, when I have a role and, like, have responsibilities and duties, I'm much right. more of a J. And oh, so yeah. I think socially and personally with my friends and my network, I'm, like, P 150%. So I'm, like, going with how I feel. I'll, like, sing a song and then see how I feel and bring people over here. So I think yeah. for me, like, unfortunately, I don't think there's as much organized or even organized spontaneity. I think it's been all like more spontaneous based on who shows up and how okay. people like kind of arrive. I'm like, okay, let's go do this. But usually it involves karaoke and like specifically maybe within the karaoke room, assigning assigning people different roles. Like you can do the little like um, simple thing and like oh, okay. you can like dance and like get people to eat things or drink things. And then you can sing this duet with me and then everybody else can enjoy themselves and not do things for a while. And then we rotate. <laughs> so like, nice. I think like group activities that involve food, everybody has to be engaged in some way. So like dancing, singing, slash karaoke, teaching people a group dance, like that's a low hanging fruit for me because there's just like tons of really approachable novel group dancing things that you can get people involved in. Yeah. Um, and like games and things like that. Uh, like I know it's really outdated, but what was that game? Like telephone Pictionary where oh, yeah. people pass around the paper and you can do it digitally now because <laughs> yeah. people have like technology. There's an R rated so version of that now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. There's an R rated version of everything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, but I think for me, like, I think it's more old school if you want to go deep, like asking people questions about like, yeah. I don't know, what's one thing that you remember that you particularly enjoyed, whether it was a first impression of me or meeting me um, or like going somewhere and doing something with me and like, how has that affected you or like changed who you are? And, and like, I mm. guess in a non-selfish way or a less selfish way. Um, kind of getting them to talk about like their past life and experience and past year with me and how mm. like they're excited to develop a relationship or plan into the future, you know, for the next year. Um, and, and also like how this year and how the relationship with me has been for them. And then, yeah, I guess just like more intentional questions yeah. reflecting over the past year of your life for other people right. with other people. And like celebrating, like things that are worth celebrating and remembering. It's like a New Year's almost, except it's yeah. a New Year's for you. Yeah. Yeah. Your <laughs> own New personal Year's for New Year's. You and like hopefully like people who find themselves in your story because they're your friends right. and your community members and and like hearing from them how that's been for them and like what are the things they're excited for, things that they enjoyed about the past year. So Yeah. Amazing. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm going to do that. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. I'm glad that was good enough for you. <laughs> awesome. So do you have any storytelling tips? This is what you do professionally, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of. Yeah. Like content marketing in the past, content marketing, and then just content production slash creativeness. Yeah. Storytelling in general. Like, uh, or maybe um, is it possible to authentically relate to a corporation? Oh, is it possible to authentically relate to a corporation? Like if you do... Yes. 
your storytelling <laughs> as part of your job, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's authentically possible to relate to a faceless business, but okay. it's very authentically possible to relate to a person at the head of the business oh, I see. and oh. their leadership and their vision and their relationships and their goals for the company. I see. Um, but it's even more authentically possible to relate to a team of folks who are at the heart, the right. heartbeat of the company, whether yeah. they're leaders or not, in terms of how they've defined the culture of the company um, and telling their stories individually and collectively. And I think that's more the kind of work that I've done is like helping people to find their voice as individuals in a professional way that captures their vision, their intuitive, you know, ambition for the company, their style of leadership and style of, I don't know, speaking and, and, and writing and authoring. Um, but also as it relates to, you know, the people around them and how they're leading them forward and the vision that they're wanting to cast for a community or an audience beyond themselves and really capturing that in a fun, like cool way that often if you're working maybe for like software engineering companies specifically, people aren't thinking in that direction of framing. They're thinking of the very technical lingo and jargon that they, they've been speaking for many years usually. So I think a lot of it's like, Knowing your audience, but also playing to the strengths of the people you're representing and, and writing for. I see. Knowing what kind of personalities there are, how keen they are on on um, being charismatic, you know, in like a social, big, loud way or not. And how to, you know, cater to those strengths in the way that you frame what they're saying and how they're saying it. I guess even if you're an influencer, right? You're a company of one. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. Right? Right. You know. Which is basically my, the dream. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can tell as the story as authentically as I want to because right. no one's going to get it if I do it exactly. wrong. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting, right? Because, like, then you can have, like, a team of people who are all that mm-hmm. influence or whatever the word you want to call it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Ideally, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a danger of that turning into a parasocial relationship? I think I know what you mean, but break it down for me. Basically, it's like a thing where you think you have a relationship with mm-hmm. a person, but they don't know that you exist because okay. you just follow them on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. So, yes. Okay. I feel like that's true to a measure, though, with every sort of celebrity culture thing where... Sure. I mean, not, nowadays, not celebrities, but just like right. even your normal friends. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of, like, on the spectrum of, like, oh, yeah. micro-influencer right. to yes. celebrity, where, like, sure. you have some of somewhat of a following on media and, and whatever social media you want, um, yeah. and and how most people don't know you personally, and, and so you're always at risk for thinking you're best friends with, you know, your fitness influencer person that you follow every day because yeah. she's made you fit or something. So you're talking about personally, like, with people you actually know. Uh, yeah, or just like, uh, you know, in the company example, mm-hmm. right? Um, cause I, I think that's more clear because it's yeah, like, see, see. you know, l- like if it's like I signed up for this online, uh, fitness coaching app, mm-hmm. right. And then I like meet the trainers, mm-hmm. right. And then I, then I do that. It's like, it's like, well, I'm, I'm forming this authentic relationship with the company, mm-hmm. right. But that's, but that's like a very clear transaction versus if it's like, Hey, your friend Bill wants you to come and like talk on a podcast. 
thoughts. Like, mm-hmm. well, is that an actual gesture of friendship or is this just yeah, like some a transactional, transactional thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we should talk about just this right. to start. Um, I could have yeah. another hour conversation yeah. asking you questions sure. about this. Your motives behind. Uh-huh. D- deep dive into, you know, yeah. those motives when he asks very innocent questions to his friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like... <laughs> I think it's also, you can also just laugh for a while if you want. It'll help you process the, uh, the your mind and sure. the things going on for you. But yeah, I think like for people who are in that setting, like business wise, especially people who are like really, really ambitious, like high drive, like, you know, entrepreneurial folks, like mm-hmm. who I've tended to write for, they're not like major corporate like heads where like there's like 10,000 people working under them. They're like small company, like accelerated growth startups to, you know. Um, and so like for those, those folks, they think they are a lot more relatable in terms of how they naturally are. They tend to be a little bit more informal in terms of how they relate to people. Mm-hmm. Everything is still unmistakably business driven. Like yeah. it's not like they're going to go invite people to podcasts just because they like talking to people in a structured format. Sure. And so clearly like, you know where their mind is, but I think it's, it's less inauthentic, I guess the way that they are naturally and like turning them into whatever influencers like professionally or, you know, a voice that's a little bit more dynamic for different audiences. So it feels like less of a stretch and they're also less faceless because they're also the ones presenting and like pitching things and like in different settings where like they're mm-hmm. seen a lot and pretty visible. But yeah, like I think there's always a risk, no matter what size company or what kind of company you are, there's always a risk of like, you know, the consumer, or like the audience or the people that you're trying to target, like mm-hmm. thinking that you're one way when you're not that way based on how you're written about or write up conveyed online but I think that for every level even for you and I on Facebook or something is always going to be a psychological thing right well it's what you referred to earlier right it's just even just in person how you present yourself right yeah it's like your race or gender or your faith or whatever right it's like people have stereotypes essentially right based on this narrow kind of view of who you present yeah and so uh, you know, it's just, it's just more clear online because you've like yeah. chosen that piece to present. Yeah. Right. Whereas in person, it's just, you know, your physical appearance. Yeah. Kind of communicates something, but that you can't really control that. Yeah. 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 And I also think I think about like most recently, more recently, I would say like I've come to bring or, like more weight to consumer responsibility. Like okay. me on the other side as someone who wants to buy your product or wants to like buy into your your vision, right, for your company or, like, wants to buy into futurism and friendship and communities, right? Like, someone who's, like, actively subscribed and, like, refreshing the page every five seconds because I'm so, you know, Sweet. with you. Um, By the way, for our listeners, you should subscribe and rate the show. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Do it. <laughs> do so, it. Smash that like button. Yes. And hit the bell. Let's smash it together. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's really getting Bill going. So. Yeah. I think, like, for that that aspect, you know, you told me coming in, like, for this episode, uh-huh. very informally. Yeah. But you still told me, like, don't feel like you have to, you know, dumb things down, water things down, like, over-explain whatever term you think you're using that's exclusive yeah. or not. Or, like, 
like even archaic or not. There's responsibility on the audience's part to self-educate. I think there's also responsibility, especially if you're doing it on social media, which a lot of blog posts, even for companies, are now online, like social media, or just content and videos are on social media, or our Facebook posts about what we ate for lunch are on social media on Facebook. There's an expectation that you have to have as consumers and as an audience that that is not the medium where you're going to become best friends with somebody. Mm. And that's not the medium in which you're going to know all their likes and dislikes and become like super like buddy buddy with them. Mm. That's the medium in which even individual people socially like you and I, when we're just talking to our mutual friend who got us together for a networking event, are trying to put our best foot forward in a very incomplete one at that, where we're going to be tempted even within ourselves to place a bunch of filters on it, like edit our posts like, you know, 10, 15 times to get the right wording out. And we're like super self-conscious and we're aware of what other people are posting and like are comparing ourselves to them. And like, that's just a sort of direction that I think the culture is on social media. And so to have that expectation that that's not going to be 150% representative or even like a 360 degree angle of this person's whole story or like this company's whole story or like you know, their entire bent or their entire belief system is online. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing this together and making it so easy to start talking. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Thanks. Okay, that's a wrap. Check out Lisa at her YouTube channel at The Mindful Soul. I'll put the link in the show notes. Special shout out to Maxi Freeney for editing the show. Thank you for all of your hard work. And I really love getting feedback from you. So if you want to tell me about what you enjoyed or any constructive comments you might have, I'd really love hearing from you. Go to billmay.net, that's B-I-L-L-M-E-I.net, and send me an email. I read every single message. Honestly, I do actually read every message. According to my stats, only 1% of listeners end up leaving a review. So if you haven't left a review yet, you can open up iTunes and submit one, and I will do a special shout out to you. You'll be one of the special people who I will give a shout out to in the next episode. This is also super important to help other people find the show. Subscribe to the show at friendshipfuturism.com to subscribe to the email list, to get access to events, curated writing, and to join the community. All right, looking forward to your reviews and comments. See you next time.